the next steps uh, barreling the world down closer to World War III appear to be being taken uh, today. In the last 24 hours, the Ukrainian top uh, top goon there, Mr. Zelensky, has signed paperwork that will admit Ukraine into NATO. Uh, and so that is what uh, the, the big news is today. And of course, you know, we this comes right after last week's vote uh, that occurred where the Russian, uh, there's like this areas of Ukraine on the eastern side of Ukraine and southeastern side of Ukraine, uh, they voted to join Russia. And so that's been a pretty big, you know, controversial thing that has gone on. Uh, Western European Union, the Western nations, U.S. have said that the vote was a sham. They are not going to recognize what these people voted for uh, in that area. Well, if if they're going to let that stop us, they should let the fact that our votes are a sham uh, indicate that they they can't govern us. Because the last I heard... Libertarian Party was disenfranchised. The Green Party was disenfranchised. Everybody but the Democratic cult and the Republican cult are disenfranchised. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, they're not going to do that. They they seem to just you know decide who can leave and who can join whatever unions in the world, whatever's based on uh, you know it's not any principle, it's based on politics. So whatever's convenient for them. So it's okay if Taiwan wants to be independent from China, but it's not okay, and it's okay if Britain wants to be independent from the European Union, but it is not okay that uh, the people of Eastern Ukraine want to join Russia, which is what they apparently voted for in uh, the election that went for five days, or the referendum that went for five days. And now uh, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky has signed an application to join NATO as of today and demanded an accelerated procedure for admission, which, of course, uh, this is being reported by RT.com. And uh, we already know that uh, Putin is saying that he's going to treat this new area of russia as russia and so therefore any attacks on this uh the eastern former ukraine however you want to describe it the donbass region in the area south of it uh, is going to be considered an attack on russia the tinderbox is getting even more you know it's getting hotter here right like it's this is getting even more serious by the moment we're it's a proxy war right now and everybody knows it because the u.s government and the western uh european nations are sending various different types of aid and billions of dollars and euros to Ukraine, uh, but they haven't actually set troops in there, per se, directly yet. And, of course, if Ukraine is able to join NATO, then NATO will be able to uh, to do that without having to, you know, have its proxies going on. And Russia will be able to send its troops into its new claimed area. So. Yeah, it's, it sounds like uh, Russia and NATO are getting closer together <laughs> Uh, as a result of all of this, it sounds like they may end up. Uh, there may be a, there may end up being a border between NATO and. Well, I mean, I think there there might already be a border between NATO and Russia, but I know there is actually. But it seems I, I like there's going to be another border there, between NATO there and Russia. Is between Russia and uh, and uh, NATO. I I did look it up. Yeah, the Ukraine uh, borders Poland, which is part of NATO. Mm-hmm. Um. But most of their borders, I don't believe, are 
are connected to NATO and Russia is farther to the east. So there's there's the um, little carve out of Russia. I believe it doesn't that border uh, NATO. Alaska. No, no, no. The um, there's a there's a the one on the, the Baltic en- Sea. Is it? An, I think I think it's called an enclave. Um, uh, yeah, the Baltic, yeah, the Baltic sea. sea. Yeah, I believe that's the Baltic Sea. My brother Laser, who co-hosted the show with us a while ago, obviously is somewhat of an expert on Ukraine, but also on on history and independence. He's also a voluntarist and sports independence. But he strongly believes, and he has some uh, reason to believe that it's that independence without any bloodshed is impossible. It's impossible to be done peacefully. Daniel Miller has been speaking for 20 years about how it is possible peacefully and how it's happened many times before. I'm trying to negotiate a debate between them two. They are friends, um, but I would love a great debate. I think mm. it would be fantastic at Forkfest, but I need some great people like Ian and Chris and nobody to help me talk to Daniel and Laser and get this debate going at Forkfest next year. Well, I mean, I'm happy to help uh, in any way that I can. I, I don't have uh, the best lines of contact to uh, to either of them, but certainly, I mean, I'd love to see a debate like that. That'd be great. Awesome. Yeah, it will be an amazing event at Parkfest. So um, what, I, what I wanted to do, I was hoping Mark Edge was still in town and still on the show because I wanted to, to tell him, you know, he, he knows I you know, have a ton of respect for him and he's awesome for Liberty Guy. But when he says that the FSP is not working, the Free State Project, that's the Liberty Migration to New Hampshire, and other things is, is working, he says the FSP won't work, but the Northern Marianas will work. I mean, Honduras will work. I mean, something else in Europe will work. You know what I mean? It kind of is not a great argument if you say, I found the one true holy grail and then change your mind about it five times in one year and don't live in any of them and give up on them. Also, the Honduras government voted unanimously in their parliament to strip this uh, ZA free economic zone, whatever, of their status, which was the whole impetus of having a free city or free place to live in. Also, almost everything he does is about, and he says there's different types of freedoms, which I agree. Some people prefer some types of freedom. Some care about cannabis. Some care about drugs. Some care about uh, guns or economic freedom, education freedom. Um, And, you know, here we have libertarians in this state. We care about kind of all of them. But for him, the entire gun freedom is not an issue. And also taxes and money is probably not much of an issue for him either. I think he was lucky to be an early investor in crypto or whatever. He worked hard and made money. Um, but for most people, you know, a tax of 5% versus 10% is a big deal for him. He can probably handle that. And he can handle flying back and forth from here to Honduras every other day because he has money. Um, so the money thing and the gun things are the two biggest things for me. But for him, he doesn't really care. So he says New Hampshire is not that great, although it's the number one freest place for guns in the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know if any place freer on guns, but also on overall taxes and education. So anyway, on LibertyBlocks.com, I wrote an article recently. It's I, I published it on August 26th. Like, like seven or eight massive reasons why the FSB is, is winning. So I can give you guys a few of the big reasons now, but everyone should check out the article on Liberty Block. Sure. Go for it. Yeah, you know, this is a philosophical thing, and I, I don't think Mark's uh, heart is in it uh, the same the same way as uh, certain other, you know, people here. His hearts are in it. No, he's definitely burned out. I mean, that's that's the yeah. the word I would use to describe how Mark Edge is these days. And, and, and I hope that he can find uh, some sort of special place that really is you know demonstrably more free and that the government gang you know goons of the area do leave him alone after he's paid them off like you pay the gang and they let you do things you know they don't bug you that much you know it's interesting um because even when you do you know so follow the rules so to speak it doesn't stop them from you know going after you if you say the things you know that they don't like or do the things that they don't want you to do you know if you do it enough um, they, they do come after you either way, whether or not you're following the rules. So I, I don't know. It's, it's one of these things where it's, 
you kind of have to walk a sort of a fine line, but knowing that it doesn't matter how hard you try to follow the rules, they'll still come after you anyway. If you, you know, if if you, uh, well, yeah, one thing, if you're too big of a, if you have too big of an impact, right. One thing Mark is not going to do, I suspect is go down to Honduras and start criticizing their government. Right. He's got all kinds of things to say about the U.S. federal government and the, you know, the people that they harm. But, you know, the Honduran government is also putting peaceful people behind bars and also ruining people's lives and stealing people's property because that's what people who call themselves governments all around the world do. The difference is he would be there at their pleasure. Right. You're in their territory. You've basically asked them for permission to come there. And they're not going to put up with you talking crap like Edward Snowden at this point. And I'm not saying Edward Snowden should. You know, Edward Snowden has done enough for freedom. He's put his entire life on the line. But I'm not saying he should start criticizing Putin, you know, now that he has gotten Russian citizenship. He probably should just chill for the rest of his life at this point. But and if that's what Mark wants to do, that's fine. But don't pretend like it's a freedom movement. Yeah. Go ahead, uh, Alu. What did you want to share? Yes. So in addition to the, you know, one-on-one reasons film, which there's a rumor that Justin O'Donnell is working on updating that in a, in a book or a film or something, because there are tons of reasons that Liberty lives in New Hampshire. But I also just wrote this article. So we, we have the first reason is it's already a free state, even before the FCC chose it. One of the reasons was because it had freedom. The second massive one is it's, it's the only and most successful pro-freedom migration so far. Four or five, six thousand have moved here. I know Mark, you know, mentioned some of those numbers may or may not be perfect, but again, thousands have moved here, and I think a thousand in the last year I mean, during current fascism. Just, just look but at the, the uh, just look at the number of movers that we've been going from from one year to the next over the last four or five years. It's it's gone up massively, you know, and that's it's it's not even about the number of people we currently have. It's about the number of people who keep, you know, the, the numbers are climbing as a percentage from one oh, year yeah, of course. to and, the next. And Big reason why I think we're successful, why the Liberty is winning in New Hampshire is we are so decentralized that unless you're here, you can't understand what that means. And I'm finally learning what that means after a few years here, thanks to you guys. Like, decentralization is incredible because they can't take out the head of a snake if there are 100 heads or 1,000. We have, mm-hmm. like, thousands of Liberty activists in the state. I bet the entire state of Florida doesn't have 1,000 hardcore Liberty activists. No way. We have yeah. thousands. I think what was said was pretty accurate. I think Mark is, is pretty burned out. I think that uh, he is... He believes he can just move to a place and and have the freedoms that he wants, and that's good enough. And I, and I think that's fine. If that's what he's looking for, then that's great. But for those of us that actually want to see more freedom for everyone, more freedom for at least for those who want it, right? Because if you want somebody to tell you what you uh, what to do, if you want somebody to lord over your life, by all means, you can you can hire people to do that. You can find people who you don't even have to pay who will be willing to tell you what to do with your life. I mean, that's not a problem. It's called getting a job. There, well, there's plenty of control freaks out there, too. I mean, you could just tell somebody, you know, some control freak would love to tell you how to live your life. But um, and there's always Mr. Spanks a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, some people do that. They hire a dominatrix and they literally get, you know, a whip, a whip cracked over them or told what to do or, or whatever. So that's fine. But for those of us that actually want to be free, for those of us that want to live without being told what to do, uh, just running and finding a you know a government that's going to accept some large payout in order to largely leave you alone, I think for a lot of us that would still bother us, knowing that they were still out there abusing people, knowing they were still out there, the government people, out there harming other peaceful people. I don't know about you, but that would bother me. Yeah, and it's not even like Honduras has not bothered 
uh, people who have moved to Honduras, like there's a pattern of, of uh, you know, um, the Honduras government basically going after people for taxes um, oh, you know, really? who have moved and bought property in Honduras. So, yeah, like, uh, you know. You know, people from the United States. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, in Canada and other, they countries. know they have money, right? Yeah, so right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Why not shake them down for some extra tax? Well, that's exactly what they they do. They're, yeah. they're shaking people down. It's like, you know, you're not going to get away from. I mean, I mean, it's yeah, it's uh, you know, trying to get away from from taxes is uh, it's it's, it's that's going to be a challenging one. Yeah, I, mean, I get the frustrations that he has. Things don't move fast enough. He was complaining last night about. Oh, well, the Free State Project says it's liberty in your lifetime, but what about all the people who've died? And there have been people who've moved here and have passed away because it's not realistic to say that this is going to change in a decade. It's it's a slow grind to try to change a society. Yeah. I, you got to understand that going into it. It's it's more uh, f- f- um, philosophical, uh, you know, than anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. Obviously, you know, uh, a lifetime. I, I when I think of in our lifetime, I think more of a collective lifetime, a human lifetime, not necessarily, you know, like my personal lifetime. I mean, yeah. obviously, if somebody's ninety five years old and they move for the Free State Project, it's probably not going to happen in their lifetime. I mean, what did you think, nobody, when you moved here? Did you think that this thing was going to turn around in ten, twenty, even even thirty years? Um, no, I really, uh, I really didn't. I've, um. I'd, I'd say my my predictions were pretty accurate, which is you know we're making some we're making progress, but it's gonna it's gonna be a slow slug. I think the biggest uh, hurdle right now is that no, we're not nobody's talked about it. nobody's hearing about it, and I think be- nobody has heard of it. Well, yeah, he's here. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, but nobody has heard about it, or no one else. I mean. Outside of the libertarian circles, almost nobody has heard of of the idea of independence, right? It's it's such a to for most people, it's such a new thing they've never even thought about it before. Mm-hmm. So right. it's got to it's it's going to take time for you know the idea to sink in, and you know I don't even know how things could get worse than they already have over the last two years, but you know they probably will get worse, you know, and as things get worse, you know, more people will will take up the idea wake and, up. you know wake up hopefully yeah. and and maybe maybe uh you know maybe there will be another vote for it and we'll get we'll get further and uh just because i don't know i i doubt that there's been any independence movements that have you know the idea has sprung up and then independence occur- has occurred it's, no it, it, takes, it time. takes time i mean you got to get the idea out there you got to get support for the idea and and you have to persuade people that are on the fence right and you got to change people's minds that are against it I mean, right that's has, that has to happen and yep. it will if you can if you can bring enough people on board people who are currently against independence if they see friends of theirs changing their mind or joining the independence movement they are going to give it a second thought and and there are some people that are just going to leave there was a monanic let's see what i'm trying to think what it's called gathering of uh, gathering of like liberty groups, I think something like that. Yeah, that and, was this past weekend. That's where I spoke about NH Independence. Right, right, right. And uh, there were a lot of people there. Um, one hundred and forty something, but that actually yep. came from all over the state. It's true. Yeah. Um, uh, but there were a lot of different groups and a lot of different people there. And the venue was full, basically. There was no, yeah. really, no room in that. Right, place. and that, and that, and, and people have to keep keeping context that 
New Hampshire's only got 1.2 million people. It's like an eighth of the population of New York City, right? So just right. you got to keep that in mind. This is actually quite a lot of people relative to the population. It's it, I know I know some people thinking like that's nothing, and it's sort of true. But you're all you're those looking people at know it. people, yeah, right. right. So and, every one of those influences friends and family members and coworkers and yep. church members and things like that. Yep, yep. So. So there was that uh, aspect, and then uh, his fourth point here is that the liberty movement of New Hampshire works on promoting freedom and peace through every angle in every arena. He says many activists primarily work in the political sphere, but of course there's other areas in which people are doing things like uh, economics. We just had a crypto and gold back meet up here today, uh, Chris, you and I attended, and you know, as usual, the discussion is of businesses that may or may not be accepting these alternatives or might be interested uh, in accepting them and of course the more people that we can get migrating here who actually are willing to use alternatives like cryptocurrency or the gold back as opposed to the dollar the stronger that economic strength that we have as a group becomes and the larger that economic strength is the more influential it is yeah um you know a great example of this i think is actually Parkfest and Forkfest, mm-hmm. where every single vendor um, I think, except for two, I believe, were These are taking, the summer camping festivals uh, for the Free State Project, basically. Yep. And every single vendor, except for two, uh, Carney vendors, mm-hmm. uh, basically, were taking goldbacks or and or crypto or both. Amazing. So that's, I mean, that's just that's amazing. And um, it's uh, the Parkfest was actually where crypto, you know, for, before the first Bitcoin conference, you know, that's where it got started. So um, I think libertarians very much are, you know, they get the ideas of decentralization. Uh, let's see. So he gives that example. Then number five is over the past few years, progressive have been leaving the state rapidly. And that's one of the things I've really enjoyed uh, that the Free State Project Twitter account has been doing over the last several months is they highlight these angry progressives and some of the posts that they're making just absolutely livid over what's been going on with the Free State Project to the point where some of them actually literally storm out of the state. There's really two things that I think are salient. Uh, one is cowardice and the other is entitlement. You know, they're, they're not used to anybody fighting back against them, really. Mm-hmm. And they think that they're entitled to the whole world and anything they de- disagree with, it's not just... Somebody has a different opinion, but he's spreading misinformation, needs to be arrested, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, they they have this huge entitled attitude that uh, is it's mysterious to me. I don't understand how people can think like that. I'm, I'm amazed at how much money is being pumped into the state, uh, seemingly from out of state, presumably. Um, just this, this, in this, this, this current election cycle. Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed the videos that have been playing on television and, and, you know, different places, television uh, or or the internet for that matter. What are they, what are they doing? Um, running attack ads about free staters, free staters. Yeah. Um, and just the the amount of money that's being pumped. I mean, I knew they were doing like physical direct mail. Oh yeah. I didn't know they had actual TV. And this is right. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. I've heard of, um, candidates doing TV spots in the past, like in northern new hampshire a little bit mm-hmm. but i've never seen it on uh you know a, a, a wider scale like this yeah. and certainly i mean we've seen definitely the flyers in the past right. um but they seem to be ramping up big time big time uh it, probably more than what you know i would think would be achievable within a small state like new hampshire 
if it wasn't for outside funding. Yeah. I don't know where it's coming from, but it just and that's just my the appearance. Democrats. I mean, the high the high level Democrat organizations are the ones funding this stuff. It, it would yeah, it would appear it would appear to be that it's way. It's a desperate hail mary attempt to try to save the Democratic Party. Here in New Hampshire, we, we actually had Keith Ammon last night on the show, who's a state representative and a, a free stater, very mm. effective state legislator of multiple terms. And what he explained to us was that the Democratic Party is in the in the process of likely sort of decertifying New Hampshire as the first in the nation primary. Now, it hasn't happened yet, but they appear to be laying the groundwork for this. He cited specific things that some committee within the Democratic National Committee, one of their subcommittees uh, of round elections, is doing. And they basically created a rule that says if your state – they're going to come up with their own calendar. So they're going to ignore what the state necessarily rules are about primaries, and they're going to say, well – we, if we don't want New Hampshire to be the first Democratic primary, we'll just decertify it. And then any candidates that run in the New Hampshire presidential primary, we will punish you. So if you're a, a, if you're a Democrat and you want to run for president and the Democratic Party says, we're no longer going to recognize New Hampshire's election because it's not happening when we want it to, then you, if you are a candidate, will be punished by them. The National Democrats are upset about New Hampshire being the first in the nation primary. And for those that don't know, New Hampshire has a a statute, a state statute that says New Hampshire has to be the first state of all 50 states to hold a primary. So if one state moves its primary earlier than New Hampshire, New Hampshire must move its primary earlier than that other state. That's what the, the law says here in New Hampshire. And this is bothering the Democrats at the national level because, from their perspective, New Hampshire isn't a good look. And the reason for that is because New Hampshire, whether you like it or not, it's just not a very diverse place. There's not, you know, there's there's a bunch of white people in New Hampshire, like 90-something percent, right? Yeah, 98%, like 95% percent yeah. white I, people. I think it's even higher than that. Uh, it depends on the area you're in, but yeah. So uh, like overall, I think Manchester it's like, and, I mean, and Nashville are a little more diverse. They're bigger cities, that kind of thing. So, and it has been changing over the years. It is way more diverse now than it was uh, when I moved here 15 years ago. I, I see more uh, color around Keene than uh, than ever before, and I consider that to be a good thing. You know, as long as you love liberty, you're welcome in New Hampshire. I don't care what color yeah. of skin uh, you have. But the Democrats do care about color of skin. And so to them, they don't want a quote-unquote all-white place determining the first-in-the-nation primary status of whichever presidential candidates there are. It just For them, it looks bad for that to happen. And so that's why they're working on sort of behind the scenes in their committee at the, at the national level – their own calendar of primaries, and if they choose to to basically not recognize New Hampshire's primary, then they will do that, which means that New Hampshire will have a primary whenever New Hampshire wants to, which is going to be the first in the nation primary, but basically the Democratic National Committee will essentially give all kinds of reasons to the candidates why they shouldn't participate in it. So basically what you would have is a situation where Joe Biden or any other Democratic candidate who is seriously wanting to get the sort of the uh, what you know the nomination by the Democratic Party would not file in New Hampshire in the primary? Does that make sense? Yeah. Are you guys still confused about this? No, 
it seems pretty clear. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I, my, I, I guess not really. Um, I, I okay. just don't really understand how, how, if you don't file, how you end up at on the ballot. Hmm, that's a good question. I'm not sure exactly how that uh, that works. Maybe there's a, another way to file after the primary or, or something like that. I honestly don't know. That's an excellent I mean, question. Are they talking about doing write-ins? Because that's my only other yeah, way to I do it, know. as that, far as I understand. That is an excellent question. So when we go to vote, it, it's not actually based on the what the outcome of the primary is. It's based off of the... Uh, the party's decision, which, the National Democratic Party, right? Well, remember, we're only talking about the presidential primary, right? Understood. Right? So you know that in the presidential primary situation, there's usually like a dozen candidates in a contested race, yeah, and some of them will drop out along the way. Sure. New Hampshire's is the first primary, so there's a bunch of other primaries that happen. Yep, and for each of these primaries. The National Democratic Party has said, well, New Hampshire is worth, five, I'm just making up numbers, five delegates. California is worth 60 delegates. You know, they have a certain amount of delegates that then go to their convention. Sure. And then they decide who the winner is going to be right then. I, I guess I didn't understand that's how that worked. Mm-hmm. I, 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 so, so, the, so the, the, the parties actually decide who ends up on the ballot? Correct, as I understand it. Interesting. So I yeah. didn't I didn't know that, I don't think. And the Supreme Court has ruled that they can rig their own primaries too. So uh Right, so it doesn't really matter. your vote in the primary has no impact. Right. So a good example uh, of that would be the Bernie Sanders uh conflict, right, with uh Hillary. Didn't he basically have her dead to rights as far as votes and then they pulled some sort of uh scammy thing at their convention? Didn't that happen? I feel like that um, happened. I'm I'm not sure what the details are, but they basically, but they definitely rigged it for. Yeah. I don't know if it was a uh, convention surprise or what. Yeah, and the, and the Republicans did things like that to Ron Paul as well during the 2008 and the 2012 campaigns. They screwed Ron Paul at these uh, at these primaries. I mean, obviously, he didn't even come. I don't think close enough to uh, to win at their their convention either. But yeah, the Republicans and the Democrats they choose their candidate at the conventions purportedly based on how the people voted in the states but basically the democrats uh, democrats are poised to say and again this hasn't happened yet but they are poised to say nah we're just not going to certify new hampshire's results we're not going to give new hampshire any delegates at the convention and so if y'all go and vote in new hampshire it doesn't really matter because you have no vote on the i mean the that's just level. that just sounds very messed up you know from a from a like how does how does the national party democratic party for example get that authority to dictate what it's ends up on convention. the ballot i just wanted to know is this true or not i heard that around the ages 16 or 17 teenagers can have a sex change operation uh well i don't know what that entails are you talking about actually like removing genitals yeah and breast and yeah i've heard about the uh the what they call top surgery that's definitely been getting some news coverage recently with a lot of people very outraged about this uh happening there are stories of course about young people who decided to get this very seriously life and body altering surgery and then regretting it later on you know one of those 
decisions a teenager makes and then is sorry about it and that's one of the ones that's hard to that's hard to undo so yeah that is that is a possibility for people out there and it's something people should take very seriously i could understand if you're an adult but a teen uh, that's kind of messed up yeah um i mean i i I don't disagree with you i don't even think people should be getting tattoos without really real serious exactly uh concern and and you know thinking about you know, it you know what you know what it comes down to is it's the right to make a mistake um i think everybody has that right and i personally wouldn't get a tattoo yeah. but that doesn't necessarily mean i would tell somebody else they couldn't get a tattoo i would advise someone if they were asking me should i cut my body part off uh or you know i, I would take that i would say you should really think about that i would say that's probably good advice i would say <laughs> give it five years and think about it and if fa- after five years you've still you still feel just as strongly about that body part being cut off, I would say, all right, then go for it. But uh, and I would say the same thing about a tattoo. Or, like if somebody or came maybe to me, do it in smaller steps. You know, like I don't know, start taking the drugs or something first, and then mm-hmm. you know, see how it, how it works out. Because it's not like it's not like that's the first thing you do. It's usually mm-hmm. you get on some what right. is it estrogen. Well, I guess it depends on or what sex you're trying to change. But yeah. yeah. Um, or there's definitely other things you can do first, and I think most of the time they do do that first anyway. So. I don't know. I would say the same thing about a tattoo as well. If yeah. somebody came to me and said, I really like this design or this graphic or logo right. or something, I'd say, well, why don't you see if you still like it in a few years? And if you really still feel just as strong, okay, go for it. But it, that way it's not like an in-the-moment decision. I will say... No more. I What's will that, say, Jamie? I said little birdie won't get look pretty no more when it gets older. Well, that's true. Tattoos do lose their uh, <laughs> a bit of their luster over time. Yeah. People have their own things that they want to do. I I don't judge them, but, uh, you know, some of them will surely regret it and some Mm -hmm. of them will not. Yeah, I mean, people do have things they want to do, but don't you think it's true that there's some influences out there on these people's lives that may be pushing them in a certain direction? I mean, we've seen a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of evidence, for instance, that in some of the government schools, for instance, there are teachers who are literally pushing these ideas on to, to young people, that this isn't necessarily something that they, some of them just came to on their own volition. Like, they, they see it almost as, uh, as a popular thing to do. Like, it's being pushed mm-hmm. for. Well, I mean, it, it may be a, a popular thing to do. Trends come and trends go. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was a kid, the teachers tried to get you to join the military. I'd, I'd, mm. You know, you're better off just losing a boob. Yep, that much is true, and that is also something I would want to talk somebody out of if they came to me and said, hey, should I join the military? I would argue that they should not yeah. uh, join the military, and and certainly, again, that's another thing where just give it some time. Think about it. You don't have to do this today. This is not a – it's not an urgent decision that, that needs to be made. You can – you can really like look at your life and look at what your alternatives are and, and not jump right into something that could drastically uh, affect you for the future. I mean, it's one thing. Styles do come and go. But the nice thing is, if you don't like bell-bottom pants anymore, you can just take them off and put something else on if that's what you want to do. You, if you don't like the mullet, you can cut it. You know, I, I, you know it's not it's not quite the same thing. Um, the comparison, I don't know if that's a fair comparison. I, I, think, I think there's some some point to it, but... I'm not sure the comparison's fair. What do you mean? I mean, <laughs> it it is it is you know a bell bottom pants. That's a fad. That's something that can be changed easily. I'm I, I just don't know that. I don't know that. And, and at the same time, 
I well, don't know that was somebody is... that with the same thing as seriousness. I don't. I don't know that. Sure, sure. Ukraine and Poland have all through history been a battlefield mm-hmm. for other powers seeking between, betwixt and between. You know, think of Napoleon's retreat. You know, that was that was heinous. There was a. But anyway, yeah, I read a book when I was in jail uh, that was in the jail library about Poland and its history of just constantly being fought over and abolished and then coming back and then destroyed again. And it's just been (laughs) absolutely awful what they've gone through. Was it Michener's Poland? Yes. Good book. That's where the Polak jokes came from. That was the birth birth right of the Polak jokes. Gotcha. So what else? Who would stand for such things? But... uh, Anyway, so you guys were talking earlier about the uh, the libtards, the Democrats, as I call them, dumbass rats. Mm-hmm. They always run from the burning ship, and that's what spread spread the plague back in the day. But uh, <laughs> it, it just tickled my elbow because I got to thinking about before Trump even got elected, um, there were so many of these libtards, these overpaid jocks and such. If he gets elected, I'm going to move to another country. None of them ever left. No. Talk is cheap. Yeah. Yeah, both sides say the same thing every uh, every election, and it's like how many people actually move. The only people I know who who have moved haven't waited for an election, and that's the libertarians. Mm-hmm. So. And that's not yeah. even, uh, you know, it's not even like a large percentage of them. I mean, of course, then again, most don't know about the Free State Project. but Classic tune, smoke on the water, fire in the sky. Excellent. Yeah, the dumbass rats, man. They always run from the ship. We put up another speeding camera yesterday. You on did? Board. You got out a ladder and you went out and you put it up yourself? Well, or did I you helped. hold the ladder? How did you help? No, our, well, I helped because I always call uh, about pedestrian fatalities. Okay, well, so you didn't help. You didn't actually go out and, and help with the install uh, the speeding camera, and you're not monitoring actively the the feed of the speeding camera to make sure that everything's safe. No, I do help you, Mike, because I call my mayor and I tell him I want a hundred more of those. I call all the state reps and senators. I want them to put them on state highways going through. So you think you help because you're a cheerleader, basically? No, I ask them as a as a constituent. I I'm a voter of Albuquerque. I voted for Tim Keller, my mayor. I'm, and then I voted for my city council. I'm asking them to put a hundred more speeding cameras hey, have within you ever, Albuquerque. Have you ever thought about just asking them to like ban ban uh, motor vehicles? <laughs> then you don't need the speeding cameras. No, I mean, I mean that's not feasible. I mean, yeah, I, she's I, realistic here, Chris. She knows what's possible. Well, and I don't what's know. Not I mean, they, there's a lot of cities around the world that are banning cars. Well, plus the speeding cameras, whether Sarah wants to admit it or not, are all about revenue. It's not about actually stopping people from speeding because oh, they know. Oh, is that why you're in favor of speeding cameras? Well, she won't admit that. Will you, Sarah? No, no. I, I, you know what? Next year, I might be one of the one, like 97 people that get killed. I might be the one that's going to be the 97 next year. I, I don't know how I manage 22 years. <laughs> well, Sarah, have you, have you ever thought about moving to a town that doesn't have speeding cameras in? I mean, it's got to be a lot safer. Why would she do that? Well, I mean, if there's no cars on the road, if they ban cars. Oh, you're talking about one of these places where cars yeah. are actually banned. Where is that? There, Some there's European places cities? all over the world now that have uh, banned cars. Uh, London, um, Amsterdam, I believe. You mean um, within certain areas? Uh, yeah, they're downtowns right, downtown. in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Sarah, why don't you move there? 
Well, you know, I, I'm here because this is uh, where I live, you know, so that's, I live, but you know, I, I don't know if that's I don't a tautology. Do they call that a tautology? Just sort of circular reasoning. Hmm. I'm here because this is where I live. That doesn't yeah. really answer the question. Well, this new problem yeah, I, affects the most reasons. vulnerable the most. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, this is, but it is peculiar here is that most democratic blue states have better traffic fatality rates than this place. This is a very blue state has like the highest per capita. Nobody, what do you think about the idea of converting uh, people, the, the apathetic, those who may be apolitical uh, here in New Hampshire versus Chris's uh, idea of let's just bring more libertarians in. And as I pointed out, if we can bring enough libertarians in, we can change the culture. And then I think you're going to find more average folks coming on board with the ideas just because it'll be a bandwagon. Yeah, approach. It's, it's social pressure. I think that'll that'll get people to vote differently, not, you know, not changing their mind through logic and reason the other thing that that makes a huge difference i know some of the locals that have gotten involved in our uh community weren't libertarian to begin with and Mm -hmm. just seeing it work makes a difference and seeing people interact without having to uh be calling the state on each other using violence against each other Mm -hmm. Uh, that's, that's a big help. So, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a double win if you can turn an enemy into a friend. Absolutely. So it's, uh, certainly an imp- important thing to do. Uh, so we were sharing some of Alu Axelman's reasons why he says liberty is winning in New Hampshire. And then he brings up alternative currencies and activists that are using things like goldbacks and, and cryptocurrency. And, and I agree you know, with him there. That's, that's definitely something we have here that sadly doesn't really exist in many other places. I will make an exception for uh, St. Kitts and St. Martin, which are two Caribbean islands where they are using... Uh, there's some really key activists going around getting a ton of businesses on board with accepting cryptocurrency like uh, Bitcoin Cash at the point of sale. In fact, they're they're making us look pathetic uh, here in New Hampshire. But really, the big question there is how much usage are the are the people actually engaging in? There, there's one guy that's going around bringing on business after business because he knows everybody. He's got he's like the liquor distributor there in the islands. And so, you know, if you if you buy liquor, <laughs> you're buying it from him, right? Yeah. So, like a lot of business owners know who this guy is. So he's got the the sway that it takes to to influence. People. If my recollection is correct, Kits is very small. Um, These are very small islands. Yes, yeah. I mean we're basically comparing, you know, something like Keene. It's like yeah, the population of uh, Cheshire County, basically, yeah. or Cheshire County, island. something like 70, that. Seventy thousand yeah. something people. Is I that think. what it is? I think it's so. small. I know it's yeah. small. Um, so I, I wouldn't be too surprised if there was some take up, but I would mm-hmm. expect it to have somewhat similar results to Keene. Uh, you know, to some degree. Now, there there may be some advantages. I I don't know if there if this is the case, but often there are particular people who are you know kind of the movers and shakers so they may, maybe they have more than you know a couple of people and that can make a difference it too can. um so and but that's what we need here right sure but, um we have we do have some other issues here like for example you know fbi raids and things mm-hmm. like that going on which also you know certainly doesn't help that has a chilling effect on things i think yeah absolutely um but if, if not chilling on the activists themselves being maybe 
uh, reticent to do yep. more public trades with one another. Like just oh, somebody sure. at a meeting wants to buy uh, you know five hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin. Maybe maybe some people are more afraid to just say yes and sell Bitcoin to a, a total stranger or something yep. like that. Uh, to maybe businesses being reticent, seeing that the FBI is going and stealing Bitcoin vending machines out of out of locations that might uh, might make a business think twice I, about that. Certainly, the Bitcoin vending machines I think is probably the uh, in some respects the number one you know uh detriment but on the other hand uh we do have we have more vending machines today than we had uh before the raids if mm-hmm. i'm not mistaken so statewide you know, yeah it's tr- it's a uh, tremendous no, Keen, number in Keene itself um we've got uh i i i, I don't recall exactly Several. what the count there's is, four to five here in but it's at least what we had before i believe so um you know it's i don't know it's it's only these things and in uh, the atrophy i i don't know if it's if i would use that word i think it's more churn than atrophy mm-hmm. um there are some other issues going on right now when it comes to uh mer- the merchant app that most people use in new hampshire however um i don't i i, I don't think that how do i say this there are a lot of places that despite that are still taking it and or they're using their own personal wallet because it's like, you know, a barber or something mm-hmm. like that. And they don't really and the owners there. Yeah. The day. owners there. The owner is pretty much the one accepting it. So it, I don't know. Um, the but, number, by the way, is 154 right now, which is a tremendous number of 154 businesses, 154 Bitcoin ATM slash vending in machines New in New Hampshire. OK, that's yeah. a huge amount of options. Keen itself, which had, I believe, four at the time of the raid now has five. So Keen has more now. Uh, than it did prior to the raids. So yeah, that's a good and, sign. And that's you know that's the thing. Like I I don't think it's all you know. We talk about it's, it's this word atrophy. I just I don't feel I don't feel atrophy is the right word. Um, I mean I see people you know buying and selling cryptocurrency one on one as much if not more now I think than before. Um, you know like the FBI raided in two thousand twenty one. People. Keen beats Miami, Boston. <laughs> Austin, any city I ever look at and seriously audit as far as what uh, what businesses are taking crypto, they're pathetic. And and Keen's got a beat. So, but that's good. Uh, but the you know the islands are killing us. We're, we're not I, the best in the world. Unfortunately. I, I will I will say my crypto usage is down, um, mm. and I will tell you why. Because of goldbacks. It's because of goldbacks. Why? But why are you using goldbacks more than crypto? Well, at the moment, it's because the crypto stuff isn't working at the merchants. <laughs> but uh, I'm still using crypto at a lot of places yeah. because a lot of merchants are still they're still taking it. It's just that it's kind of awkward to like make a payment and then there's this white screen that comes up instead of a paid screen. Yeah, the sad thing and is, it's like the- you know the merchant. Most of the merchants will be like, they're like, okay, I understand, but it's still it's like and a lot of it's them, embarrassing. It, it is, it and that's is. why it's like I'm like, uh, do I want to pay with Goldbacks or do I want to pay with you know crypto? And it's like you know the Goldbacks I'm going are with the Goldbacks every time, <laughs> right? Yeah, there's right. no question about that. Uh, yeah, it is frustrating that, you know, here we are coming up on what year 14 of, uh, of Bitcoin. And of course, crypto, other cryptos came out a few years after Bitcoin, but coming up on a, a more than a decade of development and usage and the payment options are still razor thin as far as actually using technology to transfer out of business and in real it, life. They it barely exist. And, and it's, it's interesting because we go, we go, you know, a year or more, uh, you know, with, you know, it working great. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. something will stop working because, 
you know, one reason or another, some technology will change or somebody will have to, right. you know, move to somebody a new protocol. To upgrade or, to a new version. Right, or right, right. And, um, I, you know, and, and some of this, I, I think, are, it's just growing pains ultimately. It is. Um, it's but no fun, but that's what it is. It is. It's, it's like, uh, I, I personally, you know, certain like merchant apps, I wouldn't have, I, ideally, I wouldn't have done it the way that it was done it. I would have mm-hmm. done it in a more decentralized fashion. But, but at the you're same not time, doing it. I, right, I'm not doing it. You know, it's like and the reason one of the reasons you're probably not doing it is there really isn't any money in it yet, because, you know, it's one of those chicken or the egg things. There has to be tools for businesses to use to accept cryptocurrency. And, but if they're tools, you know, it, but if you make the tools, there's still not many people using and the tools. And so there's no money to be made. Not, so why do you make the tools? Well, and here's the thing. It's not that there's no money necessarily in it. It's that the, the focus ends up being on the investor types mm-hmm. rather than, you know, spending and accepting it, you know, merchant tools. And you're right. Well, that, that's where the money is. An, on the topic of investment, though, um, you know, if somebody waits for widespread acceptance and then decides to develop their, uh, their tool, they're going to be way too late. It's too late, sure. There's a big difference between the group of people who are into crypto because they want to see number go up over time. And those of us who are into crypto because it's an empowerment for the individual and, you know, an undermining of the old money system, there's a very big difference between those groups. And I would say the people that are in it for number go up are probably the majority of the users. And most of those people have no understanding of the idea of peer-to-peer electronic cash. They have no value for that at all. They're not getting into it to replace the dollar. They're getting into it in the hopes they'll make more dollars it, down the line. I think I think you're right. You know, I think mm-hmm. most of the focus, you know, and I, I, I think we may be being a, a little bit too harsh. Um, only, And I only say that because that's what media seems to focus on is the investor type. Mm-hmm. And we just don't hear a lot about people spending it like a currency. But, you know, it's not like I've seen cryptocurrency, um, you know, usage go. Like I have a, I have a business and we accept cryptocurrency. An online business, right? thinkpenguin.com. Right. I haven't seen cryptocurrency usage go down. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's gone up even, in fact. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I don't know. Um, but it's it's yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it won't happen. But it is it's frustrating in the early times of, it is. of being there waiting Especially, for these things to happen. Especially, I think, with brick and mortar. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the online stuff has it's been easier. working the better. Tools are, are decent. Um, there. yeah. But especially, especially the merchant tools, in person retailers. Uh, right. that's where I think we still have some room to work with. Um, there are some tools though. Uh, now that are better. Like there have been some improvements. A lot of the tools right now are still centralized tools, but we do have some better decentralized merchant tools. Hmm. So it's not like there hasn't been improvements. And there's also been some other improvements over the years. Now some of these are older, but things like Monero. Um, we still haven't seen widespread adoption of Monero in terms of merchant tools, so there's still no. a lot of room to grow. It really is, um, yeah. and I think I think I think we'll see that as time goes on. But it's going to take, you know, and I've said this from the beginning. I think it's going to take 40, 50 years probably before we see, you know, a larger percentage of the population really using How it. How long did it take um, credit cards to break into fifty well, percent? That's exactly it. it. You know, they came out what in the forties, I think it was forties or fifties um, or something, and yeah. we didn't really see. Even in the nineties, there were a lot of people who didn't have a credit card, so. Mm. You know, and that was in the United States. In Europe, it, you know, it's still that way in some places. So, you know, um, I think it is. And I think in, in some sense, crypto has has kind of um, done better than the credit card in that. Better, faster, you mean? Faster mm-hmm. in that it's got more widespread adoption around the world. 
Chris, do you think it's a coincidence that Free Talk Live also, for the last decade, has had a satellite feed that <laughs> happens to cover sub-Saharan Africa? Uh, you know, it's this is an interesting question. Uh, you know, there's a reason, you know, Free Talk Live and you, Ian, are being targeted by the feds. <laughs> um, you know, they're not, It. you know, you're not a bad target, or at least, you know, if they had gotten to you earlier, not earlier, right? Um I think they just waited too long is honestly mm. what happened. Um, well, but, one of the yeah. reasons they waited was because they wanted to charge me with the uh, the so-called kingpin charge. And that which they might have been their have, mistake. They needed to have a certain number of years under uh, you know under their belt, or my belt in this case, to yeah. bring that charge, which has a minimum of 10 years on just that one charge. So yep. that's what they wanted to do, uh, in my opinion. So tell us more about this. You're saying retail is fairly high in sub-Saharan Africa. And one of the things I noticed when I was looking at their report here is it's it's actually specifically two countries more so than the rest of sub-Saharan Africa. Mm. Nigeria and Kenya are where the real hot spots are. Yeah, it's they're saying that the peer-to-peer transactions, which I presume mean non-trading transactions. Peer-to-peer meaning uh, not using a centralized exchange, right? Exactly, but, but like local bitcoins, right? Or which packs full, which tends to suggest it's it's they're probably making purchases and sales um that type of uh, transaction as opposed to you know in- investment type of transactions so um yeah so the report highlights how peer to peer transactions are more common in sub-saharan africa than anywhere else in the world at about 6% of all crypto transaction volume africa's peer to peer transactions dwarf those of central and southern asia and oceania the region with the second highest volume in that category Many Africans have integrated crypto into everyday life, the report says. Besides retail transactions, remittances and commercial transactions have also been key drivers for Africa's high adoption and usage rates. Crypto usage is driven by everyday necessity as opposed to speculation by the already well-off, especially in countries where the values of local fiat currencies are dropping. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is they're dropping everywhere these days, mm-hmm, um, sure. you know, uh, dirty fiat. That's because so, every central bank is on a printing extravaganza. They, yeah, they're inflating like crazy. I have to wonder if uh, that may, you know, at some point impact, you know, even the United States, you know, and maybe steer people towards cryptocurrencies, you know, at, at some point, right? Um, it may not have happened yet. But um, it, it could still happen, you know, um, it's, it, it may be likely even as we've seen in Nigeria and Kenya, the report states, what makes Africa different? At first glance, some of the high level figures in the chain analysis report tell the story of a continent with the lowest cryptocurrency transaction volume in the world. Hmm. Yeah, it's because there's there's less wealth there. Right, probably. They don't have as much to transact. And there's fewer people investing in it, maybe. Um, or less investments overall because they have less money. But what they're saying is even though the, the total value is low, the amount of usage is high. They're just doing small transactions. The percentage of the transactions that are utilized for, uh, purchases, it makes up the majority of the transactions, not trading, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for the, for the sake of profit. This is one of the things that people who are critics, I think, of Bitcoin, um, I think they have a kind of a point here in that you want people to invest in things. You don't want people to invest in dollars, which is why they say it's better to have the uh, you know dirty fiat go down in value because you want them to invest in other things, not in in, in the currency. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, a deeper dive into the report, however, reveals first a very diverse region with varying usage and adoption rates. And a second, a genuine need for crypto. 
that's one of the key differences between this area and meaning the the sub-Saharan Africa, where you're dealing with people in a lot of cases that are making, if they're lucky, a dollar a day. These are people that really... They don't have traditional financial services. They don't have a lot of the same uh, comforts, creature comforts that uh, that some of us do in the in the Western world. And the money there is even worse. You deal with something like Zimbabwe, where, of course, they've had tremendous inflation in the local currency there. And I believe Zimbabwe's new dollar is also having trouble since they brought it back. There was a time time period where they didn't have their own central currency, and now they do again. You, these people are in, uh, in, in sub-Saharan Africa are subject to some of the worst governments in the world, and so Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is a, is a direct path out from that. They are not living, in many cases, comfortable lives like many of us are here by comparison in the West, and people who are, are uncomfortable are more likely to look for other options. But Ian, Bitcoin isn't useful to uh, you know, people in, poor people in, in other countries because it's um – you know, uh, it, it costs too much, right? It does. Bitcoin <laughs> uh, does have a high fee in order to send it. And I. it makes me wonder whether these African users are using Bitcoin or if they're using something else like Bitcoin Cash uh, for their transactions. Yeah, the fees are too high um, with Bitcoin. They are. So you, you can in some cases pay. Now, these days it's lower than it's been, but we've seen fees on Bitcoin go higher than $5 a transaction in the past. Chain analysis contracts contrasts affluent Western countries that use crypto to increase wealth, which I think there's, there's some truth to that, but I, I think that's unfair to say that that's the only thing Western countries use it for, um, especially given what I've seen personally as a business owner and what I see in my own community. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that use crypto to increase wealth with poor African countries that use crypto to preserve and build wealth. I mean, isn't that kind of What's the, the same thing? Yeah. Um, but anyway, amid unfavorable economic conditions, I don't know. I, I mean, we have unfavorable economic conditions too. I don't, sure. I mean, I understand there is a night and day difference between sub-Saharan Africa and the United States, for example, but I, I don't necessarily yeah, think they you... haven't gotten to the trillion dollar bill yet here in the United right. States. But Zimbabwe <laughs> has seen that. Right. But I, I to say to say that we don't have unfavorable economic conditions, I think, is kind of misleading. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the, the, the decline in the dollar in, in just the past year or two, um, I mean, you know, the official number is what, 8 percent and like the unofficial mm-hmm. number is something like 19 percent. Correct. Inflation, and um, yeah. we certainly have seen, you know, you know, pro- prices, if you actually look on products, you know, in many cases, double over the last three, four or five years. Right. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm a little, eh, I don't know. We don't have big institutional level traders in sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah, I mean, that's because the continent just in general um, doesn't have the wealth in it. And so you're not going to see that that kind of money moving around, period. Um, but having access to cryptocurrency could shift their fortune, right? Like these are could. people who the that people could. who are in Nigeria and Kenya who are getting into crypto now may very well be the new business leaders in those countries in the next decade. You just listened to the new extended Free Talk Live Daily Digest. We felt this format was more appropriate for our podcast audience and decided to make it our official podcast. If you subscribe to the Daily Digest or full episode RSS feeds, please resubscribe to the main FTL podcast feed, which you can find at feeds.freetalklive.com. The other feeds rely on a third-party service, and though they'll have the same content, we can't be sure how long they'll stay online. If you still want the entire radio show, you can listen live every night from 7 to 10 Eastern at freetalklive.com. 
Full video archives are at video.freetalklive.com or tune into our 24-7 stream for the latest show at listen.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live's amps will continue to receive the full two-hour radio show with no recorded commercials via podcast through Patreon. So please join amps.freetalklive.com for just $5 a month. Thank you for listening to and sharing Free Talk Live. 